0: Thanks so much for joining me today on the Cocktie Podcast. I'm your host, Gary. In case you're new to the show, I'm the editor and resident Bob Ross impersonator here at Fortner.com. That's right. A nat one isn't a mistake. It's just a happy accident. After all, maybe that Tarrasque isn't a stranger, but a friend you just haven't met yet. You may have seen me as the DM for Quest for the Cure or Icehole's Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, as Cicero on Cyberpunk Independence as Doc on Scribes and Scrolls, or Sailing on the SS Failboat over at Talon and Glaw. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this show, or follow us on social media at fortnerd.com. That's at Fortnerd, D-O-T, C-O-M, or follow us and subscribe. Both works for me, but whatever works for you is fine. It's a quiet week in the news, but I expect in the coming weeks we're going to hear a lot about the new Power Rangers RPG, as well as the forthcoming G.I. Joe RPG from Renegade Games. Stay tuned for that. My guest today is Joe Nuzo. He's a professional dungeon master. He's the DM and co-producer of the delightfully whimsical second star of the right D&D actual play show set in Neverland, and he's just recently become an RPG producer for WizKids, working on their miniature line. He's done charity streams and terrain building tutorials, and he's a wonderful storyteller. I hope you enjoy my chat today with Joe Nuzo. <laughs> Joe thanks so much for joining me I really appreciate it.
1: Glad to be here thanks for having me on.
0: So I always like to ask people this question because I'm always curious about where they came from in their journey for tabletop RPGs but more specifically Dungeons and Dragons so what was your first experience with D&D?
1: You know it's always something I like to brag about uh, because my parents actually met each other playing D&D when they were in college And that was our family time growing up, you know, clearing the dinner table, my dad behind the screen, my mom drawing on grid paper, you know, on the maps we were going through, and then me, my brother, my sister all playing. So, yeah, it all started with the family.
0: Well, I, I guess they had a bit of an advantage because they sort of put their own party together from scratch, huh?
1: right yeah they didn't have to worry about schedules or finding people they're like no nah, we'll keep it in house that's yeah. fine
0: <laughs> yeah they're like no no it's time to play D. y'all gonna sit down now and we are going to roll some dice
1: exactly put your homework down okay you, you can finish your
0: vegetables later get your dice let's go do you have any memories of that first game the first D game that you ever sat down to i do uh, because I got
1: really mad that my brother got a magical sword that I really wanted, uh, mainly because he was a good aligned character and I was a bad aligned character, uh, so I didn't have access to the magical weapon. Um, But no, I mean, it was, I mean, it all started everything. Like, you know, I'd been a nerdy kid my whole life, you know, I was the kid playing soccer at 10 years old, who would sit down in the field and pull an action figure out of my socks, because I did not want to run around and kick a ball, you know. So like, at that moment, it was like, I don't know, my parents Tried to get me in a bunch of different things, but I really kind of just settled on, you know, nerdy stuff and, and they're like, okay, let's try Dungeons and Dragons and then boom, you know, it just did not stop from there. So yeah, those like first couple years just playing with the family, super special, super important. It was like some of the best times I can remember, you know, all of us together.
0: And that, and that experience with Dungeons and Dragons has really shaped not only your personal, but your professional life as well, because you, you run a business, you're a professional dungeon master. You use Dungeons and Dragons for team building, for corporate type events. Where did you get the idea for using D&D this way?
1: Yeah. So I managed a comic book store in Chicago for six years, like through college and a little bit after, um, got super close to the owner, first aid comics in Chicago. Go check it out. Great spot um tom the owner got hired by yelp to do a diversity in comics like seminar speech with their employees you know went there did it it was great he came back and we were talking about it and we were just kind of like you know together we're like hey dungeons and dragons could be a great team building thing to bring to companies like he just did with with comics for yelp and it was at the time where, you know, 5 v was really ramping up, the popularity was out there, there were so many people who knew about the game, but didn't know how to get into it. And having the knowledge and, and I think personality that I have was able to, you know, make it happen in that corporate space, um, you know, running games for like teams of new hires, um, sales teams, and then transitioning to like private groups of friends who needed a DM, other families who wanted to play, events, like that sort of thing. So yeah, it all all started at First Aid Comics.
0: Have you ever done an event, more particularly a corporate event than a home one, where somebody was clearly not receptive to the idea of playing Dungeons & Dragons? They're like, what is this? What are we doing here? Why are we paying for this? But by the end, you managed to convince them that, hey, this is actually a lot of fun.
1: Oh, 100% because you know, half the time going into the, the corporate space, these employees are being you know forced to play and they either don't want to or don't seem interested. I remember, I got booked for a corporate retreat in Chicago. Uh, it was this company, their owners were from Ireland. And the owner, you know, like flew in from Ireland, came to the retreat. We all sit down to play D&D and this guy's sitting there and he's just like, oh, you know, what is this nerdy game? Like, why are we playing it? And then three hours go by and we're at the, you know, big bad fight and dude is literally standing up from his chair, yelling at the wizard to cast fireball to kill the demon Lord. Like he, like by the end of it, he was totally invested and totally hooked. And that was an awesome moment because, you know, it's not about making someone do something they don't want to do, but it's about, you know, experiencing something new, breaking out of your shell and enjoying the game with the people around you, you know, whether it's your employees, your coworkers, your family, your friends, whatever. And and yeah, it was awesome.
0: And ultimately, nobody succeeds in D&D alone. I mean, the, the mantra, don't split the party, is the one person who's going off to explore that tunnel is probably going to have a bad day so oh,
1: definitely the only time you can succeed in DD alone is when you're me and your buddy kyle in high school and no one wants to play D, so you're forced to play one-on-one dm to player D for like four nights a week for three years because that's what we had to do for a
0: while well you when it comes to dd you got to do what you got to do exactly now for all of your scenarios for and we're going to talk about a bunch of them You spend a lot of time and effort putting together um, maps using 3D terrain, using Dwarven Forge. I know you do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Why is it important to build these visuals for your players? And how do they usually react to some of the amazing things you create, particularly in your corporate events where people may not have seen anything like this before at all?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I try to use D&D the most for is immersion. You know what I mean? It's it's an opportunity to get away from your phone, your computer, you know, real world, whatever. And having that, you know, physical setup with detailed terrain, You know accurate miniatures and monsters and and effects and all that kind of stuff really helps elevate that level of immersion so when we're just sitting at a table and i you know unveil the room or i bring the board out or, or whatever there's like that wow factor that like holy cow okay like something's happening time to pay attention like time to get in this time to coordinate or whatever and i also just love building terrain and Uh, dungeons and all that kind of stuff you know i'm a huge lego nerd i went to architecture school so i love getting my hands on building things um and i've seen a lot of impressive virtual tabletops too especially with this last year you know of being locked down like all that platform kind of exploded which has been great but i'm a little old school when it comes to wanting like pen and paper at the d d table so like being able to continue building physically with terrain is is something that i enjoy too so
0: yeah, I'm I'm with you. In fact, I don't I don't even use a map. I'm sort of trying to play old school with the Theater of the Mind. Sure. Back in my day, we used <laughs> use graph paper. Now you yeah, no, minis.
1: I've, I've got all my take together pieces of graph paper that we used, you know, with my family um charting out our maps and stuff. And That's Theater amazing. of the Mind is great. It definitely has its place and I think everyone should do at least a campaign maybe Theater of the Mind, but yeah. yeah.
0: But I would encourage, I would encourage anybody who hasn't seen what you do to check out your Twitter because a lot of the builds you've put up are are on there. You've taken photos and they're they're incredible. You can't really describe them. It's like, oh, there's a bubbling volcano and it's it's friggin' avernus, and you know, it's, <laughs> it, it looks great. But I have to know because how much dwarven train you have, a dwarven forge terrain you have, how long have you been collecting it mm-hmm. and are they giving you an affiliate bonus? Because by now, all the marketing you're doing for them should net you a little something, something on the side.
1: For sure. So I actually just passed my one-year Dwarven Forge uh, anniversary in March mm-hmm. of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally like bought my first set the week quarantine happened. Of course. So I went a long time with collecting Dwarven Forge, but not ever actually getting to play in person with it, which is like a bummer um i've got a healthy amount for sure definitely a closet full of it um but enough where i'm like okay i have enough to build the things i want to build and i don't feel like a super need to consistently buy more stuff i mean i did dump a bunch of money on the the wildlands kickstarter (laughs) Uh, so when that comes in that'll be nice um but yeah no i'm at a point now where like i have what i need to build the stuff and then if there's something specific i'm looking for i'll pick it up Mm -hmm. you know got it
0: you recently started a show um called second star to the right it's set in neverland you're the dungeon master and the co-producer where did the idea for second star come from like how did it begin
1: yeah for sure i know you've talked to andrew about it too Mm -hmm. uh, in a recent episode and he's a this amazing guy i could not be more you know happy to be working with him um so I knew that I was kinda of at a point with pull a lever, my my business with professional dungeon mastering, that I needed to take like the next step right mm-hmm. in like the career path. And it was between, you know, maybe hiring another dungeon master on my team to like cover more games or do like a new project. And and I was Chilling on Amazon one day, looking at some stuff to buy. And I got an ad for this Neverland campaign setting book. And I clicked on it and saw the preview and thought it was amazing. Ordered it, got it in two days, read the whole thing. I was like, holy cow, this book is amazing. And it needs to be an actual play show. So I texted Andrew uh, from Roll for Persuasion. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And, and yeah, that's where it came from. Just a recommendation on
0: Amazon. Just a, uh, uh, so Amazon's clearly not all evil. No, right? They hooked it up. <laughs> the the show has an incredible cast. And, you know, like you said, I talked about it with Andrew, but you've got Michael Sinclair II, Andrew himself and, and Desiree, Brianna Flame, Emily Irvelina, And you've had fun guest stars too, like uh, oh, yeah. Jasmine Bullard, that that bronze girl. What did you, like, what is each of those, incredible performers bringing to your show how are they interacting to make this wonderful world of second star
1: absolutely i mean it was, it was one of the toughest things to lock down between me and andrew um you know the cast like who who's going to be on this show um you know between him and i we, we knew a fair amount of people in the industry and we kind of like brainstormed together um But ultimately picked people that we were kind of close to, people that we, you know, like trusted and and thought had, you know, good presence and experience at at the table. Um, And I think it's really starting to shine now. We're what, like six episodes in, our seventh is is coming up, Mm -hmm. um, and everyone's like really starting to click. Um, I Like the cast really hasn't worked together before, um, you know, people like, like one-on-one long-term. So I think there's like a fresh sort of, you know, jive feeling to it, um, you know, with like a brand new cast. Um, and it's great having guest stars on it. Yeah, we had our first guest star on. Um, we've got another one coming up. And it's a little stressful as a DM because the guest stars are, are getting to play like big important NPCs in the campaign setting. And I have to just like hope and trust that they, they do what I, I need them to do plot wise. And a- after the, the first guest star, it was, I was like, holy cow, that was amazing. Like that was so much fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to doing more of that for sure.
0: You've been running the show, I guess, bi weekly now for three months. So, like you said, you're on your coming up to your seventh episode. What have been some of your favorite moments so far?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like like in any D campaign, honestly, like you always think the players are gonna do one thing and then like another thing entirely happens. Um, and Neverland itself as a as a you know D campaign setting. Give such a fresh take. You know, it's all brand new content. All the monsters are brand new. You know, they're not 5e monsters. Um, all the NPCs are brand new. They're not existing NPCs in any other world. So I'm getting to play with a cast that's experienced D&D players across, you know, many shows, campaigns, one-shots, you know, communities, whatever. But the content I'm throwing them, the monsters I'm throwing them, the hex crawl that we're going on is like a brand new thing to them. Um, So it's, it's a lot of fun watching them have to like realize that something is happening that they don't fully understand and coming up with a situation to solve it. Um, A recent moment from two episodes ago, uh, the group had just recovered a piece of a fallen star, which is like their main objective on the island and don't know what it does, casted a spell in its vicinity and like a crazy magical star surge altered the spells and the party got split because of it. And now we're, uh, you know, an episode, another episode coming up where the party is split and trying to get back together. Um, And unlikely pairs of players are now working together. So that's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, that unlikely pairs of players. It's like on shows, you always get, you get the feeling of rewarding when somebody who you wouldn't expect works with somebody else. It just brings such a unique, a unique experience to it.
1: Absolutely. Like uh, two, two of the players, the player characters, their backgrounds have a history together, like they work together. Um, so during gameplay, they've kind of naturally have been growing their players, their characters relationships and they were going to section off and like go do a thing. Um, but because of that star surge, it got switched. So now people that are like, oh, we've our characters have never interacted on the show at all are being forced to interact. And it's been awesome.
0: That brings me that brings my DM heart such joy.
1: Oh, big time.
0: <laughs> As a producer and a stream DM, what challenges have you faced, if any, getting your show off the ground or just running it and, and keeping it going? Is there anything that you've encountered so far, whether you're in pre production or during the show that you've said, well, crap, I won't do that again?
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest stuff is just technical issues, you know. Um our our, our cast is spread out across the country. So time zones are sometimes an issue Um, with internet dropping out, you know, cameras not working that sort of thing. Luckily we have an awesome Twitch producer. Uh, His name is Ryan. He's from the chump cast a super like nerdy podcast. They talk about everything nerdy. Love those guys. Um, So he's got a lot of a Twitch producing experience. So he he's able to fix a lot of that for us on the fly. but I, I honestly, the the hardest part is just not playing in person. You know, you get a little, on a little fatigue staring at the camera the whole time. You know, staring at a screen the whole time. Um, it'd be great to have everyone at the table, and we're hoping that as conventions open up and we all kind of go to them, we can get the group together. But, but yeah, I mean, nothing honestly, nothing too crazy. Um, our, our production team, Andrew himself is, is, is very talented and experienced. Um, we've got the right people in play to, to mitigate a lot of those issues, you know, we would run into. So
0: that's great. Yeah. Now, conversely, has there been anything that you've done again in pre-production or during the show that you've said, wow, that worked, need to do that again?
1: I think the main thing when Andrew and I started getting the show going was that we knew we wanted to have a specific direction before the first episode. You know, I feel like in our research, there were a lot of of other streams, a lot of other shows that kind of like start streaming and then start adding on a lot of like the production things, sponsors, Patreons, like all that kind of stuff. But we wanted all of it day one. And that has really made our actual show process a lot smoother a lot cleaner and a lot more fun you know we we locked up all of our like our intro video our music our sponsors um you know the cast like everything was lined up put in place signature signs sort of thing so that when we started it was smooth it was concise and and it had a clear direction and as we move into our second quarter of the show um, we're 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 keeping that momentum going, and we got like new things that are going to be popping up for the show that are going to be awesome.
0: Cool. Um, dming uh, for a cast on a stream as performance art seems different than if you're dming a, a group at home when nobody's watching. Do you think do you think that's true? And how do you approach stream dming versus home dming?
1: Yeah, I think the the biggest thing with with the stream dming is is making sure you have content that's enjoyable not for just the cast but for the people watching it you know uh, as a dm you start to you know you, you learn your players you understand the people who are who are at the table gaming with you so it's a bit easier to cater the content to the style that they like Um, But when it's online and and you've got a lot of eyes on it, it's important to have a little bit of everything so that everyone can, you know, tune in and enjoy the show. Um, And I think, especially with Neverland, um, I think most people, 90% of people have some sort of history with Peter Pan, with Neverland, with, you know, the characters that are involved into it. And it's, 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 it's a special thing, you know, it's a nostalgic thing. And so being on a, in a campaign setting where I have all of this like heavy Peter Pan Neverland lore that I'm like a little afraid to drop. Cause I don't want to like miss an opportunity or mess it up or do it at the wrong time um, to like not put, you know, the right amount of importance on something that's important to a lot of people, you know, like the first time Peter Pan shows up, I think needs to be an important moment because that's an important moment for everybody watching you know? So I'm like playing some stuff close in the chest, but I'm also like, okay, it's time to drop some like Neverland type stuff, you know, get people excited.
0: Yeah. No, that, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, what is your approach to telling a good story? Um, do you think there are common elements that always appear in a good story? And, and what advice would you give to people who want to create a compelling narrative in their own games or their own fiction or
1: whatever? For sure. Yeah. I think um, the biggest, there's two big lessons I think I learned as a dungeon master. The first one being that everyone at the table is telling the story. Right. And I think that's a lot of people talk about it and they do because it's important. You know, it's not just the DM driving the narrative It's the players also putting their input on the story as well, like the decisions they make, the actions they make, the characters they choose to talk to, the places they choose to go is is writing the lines in your book, you know, and a good example of that is, I think, not over preparing as a dungeon master. And and for example, in a homebrew campaign that I ran, um, you know, I had, it was a seafaring campaign. There was this like Neverland or not Neverland. There was this, um, Um. Oh my gosh. Robin Hood type pirate, a little more bad than good was stealing from people. Right. And he was this high level NPC and the party got a bounty to bring him in, but he, they had to like infiltrate his crew, join the crew, learn about him, get stronger before they could like, you know, take him in, capture him, whatever. And I planned like three months of like written content for weekly sessions, just writing, writing, writing all this stuff. And the first session my players encountered him, used creativity and lucky dice rolls and and captured him right away and brought him in and and cashed him in for the bounty. And I was like, holy cow, I had all of this stuff prepped Um, and it was out the door, you know? So when I go into prepping my content, um, I write down like what my key plot points are for that session, that episode, whatever, like this person needs to get interacting with. they need to show up at this place they need to recover this item or, or whatever, whatever the plot points are. And I'll have like a basic structure like you kind of know like where the players are what they're going to do next, but I'll sprinkle in those key plot points sort of naturally as the campaign as the session is going on. Um, like in our last Neverland episode, there was a a scroll that I I really wanted them to find that had um, like a letter from a, a character on the Neverland Island as a piece of history and lore. And instead of putting it in one place on the island that if they never went to or didn't search, they just didn't find it being like, oh, well, I was like, okay, at some point, I want them to find this thing. And there was a natural point where they took a break. They were, you know, scavenging for supplies. And I just put it in with like an empty campsite that they found, you know. Um, So I think a combination of preparing your plot points and your content, but being flexible and telling the story with your players just naturally breeds good storytelling.
0: Yeah. And I think that raises a good point because there's a mistake that new DMs make (laughs) and maybe you'll agree with me maybe you won't that they their story relies too heavily on one fixed point yeah and if the characters fail an investigation check they don't find this piece of information that drives the story forward i know i was in a campaign with a first-time dm wonderful person great story but they expected us to negotiate with an invading army yeah. But we didn't negotiate to get a piece of information, but instead we raided their camp and tried to steal from them. But because we didn't negotiate with them, she wasn't able to on the fly sort of change her her narrative to fix it. And that's a really good suggestion is, you know, putting that piece of information, not necessarily in a specific place. Is like, I know this is coming in somewhere. Where yeah. is it going to be?
1: Yeah definitely i and i always like to use skyrim as a as a reference for storytelling too like depending on on your campaign right like skyrim has um you know it, it's a video game if anyone hasn't like checked it out before but it's has this world ending scenario right like there's this dragon he's coming in he's gonna eat the world whatever and it's you as the player's responsibility to stop the dragon from doing that but there's no real like time clock to make it happen. You can go and do side quests and level up and like do all these things. And then when it kind of makes sense to you as your character, as your story, go on like the main quest. And that's something that I use a lot uh, as a mindset that like you don't, every session have to actively be driving heavy plot points into everything that happens. your players will get to it when they get to it, you know. And if you need them to get to it, then you can like put something in front of them. But, but yeah.
0: I hope you got to reuse some of that content that you spent all those months writing, though.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. You just make a new pirate captain, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's very important, and you infiltrate his crew. We need yeah. all the information. What you do you guys are why? doing?
1: This, all right? half a notebook so deal with it exactly
0: now you've participated in a number of charity events in the past raising money for causes like jasper's game day over on talon and Claw and, and dragonfall and others why do you think it's important to to contribute in this way why why do you give back
1: absolutely i mean you know if it wasn't for the community i mean for the game itself uh it has taught me a lot about life and, and and how to interact with the world um you know the charity streams are a great way to bring more people into the game um you know people that that could really use it honestly um and supporting the people around us you know d d is a game that brings people together and i feel like especially in this this last year of of the pandemic, um, has been extra important. And virtual gaming has brought more people together from different places around the world than like ever before, you know? You're no longer limited to like the people in your town to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and so connecting these people and, and learning about other communities that need support is, is a great thing. Um, and we're able to bring those people together get them, get them the help they need and have some fun doing it. You know, we build each other up and, and I think that's an important thing to to keep doing, you know?
0: Yeah. And the tabletop community online is, is very close knit and everybody's supremely supportive. And one of the things that I like about charity games is that you get to interact with people you might not otherwise interact with. I mean, I looked back as I was preparing for this interview, I looked back for the, the episode you did on talent and claw the charity stream and Andrew and, and Michael Sinclair were there which is sort of a precursor to second star I yeah. don't know if Michael was already uh on yeah he list. was he was it sure. was just it was just random we didn't get yeah. together for any reason it just happened to be the time that worked out so looking back on it after second star came out it's like huh that's funny
1: oh yeah no we were talking in the background about that for
0: sure <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious why why do you think D and D is becoming such an effective vehicle vehicle for charitable fundraising because there's been so many. Jasper's Game Day just raised over hundred thousand dollars during their game week. They're well on their way to eclipsing their their total. You know, the quest for the cure that I I run is you know yeah. twenty thousand dollars for since September of last year. Why do you think that is?
1: I think because people you know it's fun to get behind something get behind a cause like that and and D &D, again is a way to to bring people together not only players but but viewers and each each stream each episode each charity event is different because you've got you know a different story a different dm a different group of players so it's 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 fresh every time you know you're not going to uh the broadway and seeing the same show every single weekend you know um and that excites people and 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 it's a good way to inform people about the the causes that that the streams are supporting. Um and yeah, it's just it's a fun platform and and it's great.
0: Yeah, I think it's about too building connections like we talked about because it's yeah, oh it's, yeah, it's one of those things where D&D brings people together and you know the idea the idea when we started Quest for the Cure was that quest of this unfindable object because obviously uh duchenne muscular dystrophy has no cure and so getting behind something and it's it's a very similar very similar prog- process i think
1: yeah definitely
0: you recently announced that you were starting a job as an rpg producer for WizKids. first wow um second what does that mean uh, third how does it happen did they reach out to you did you apply what, what was the story there
1: For sure. Yeah, so I am an RPG producer for WizKids, um, about a month in. It's been super awesome so far. Um, So I'm in charge of production for pre-painted miniatures for uh, Wiz of the Coast, for Critical Role, uh, for Paizo, and a few other licenses. Um, So basically, I'm in charge of from... A concept from idea from proposal of a line of miniatures whether it's for you know icons of the realm um a specific you know pack of 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 pcs or or npcs for a specific campaign um from like that initial idea submission to it being sculpted painted created and then it being made in the factory packaged and put on the stores at the shelves at stores um so i'm in charge of like you know, I help oversee that whole process um, for, for all those companies, which has been super cool. Cause I'm very passionate about Dungeons and Dragons miniatures, as you can see behind me, Your uh-huh. Probably can't see, but I love, I love a good miniature. Um, And I was sort of approached by them. So I applied for a job at whiz kids um, and didn't get it. And then a few days later after that, after that initial, application, um, the leader of, of the RPG team um, emailed me and he was like, hey, saw, saw your resume, I, I checked out what you do online, I think everything looks great and want to know if you want to talk about coming to work for me. And that's how it started. And it's been really freaking awesome
0: that's that's the story right is you know one one thing happens and it doesn't sort of work out and then here's this other door so it's almost like a dnd adventure really right
1: <laughs> i'll say um justice armin gave me a bit of advice that really turned around you know me getting this job at Whiz Kids. Frankly, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've worked with him before, but Justice is an incredible person. I did a, a charity stream with him. Tried to get him on Second Star as a cast member, but he was a little busy, which is fine. Um, but seriously, he's an amazing guy, and he, he did a charity stream with me. Um, and then a few weeks later, um, got hired at Beetle and Grimm full time. Mm-hmm and it's been a dream of mine to have a full-time job in the d d industry. You know, I had been working in, in project management and construction. Um, fine, good job, but just nothing I was passionate about, you know, was using pole Lever as a way to maybe get into d d full-time, um, but Justice told me, because I asked him after he got hired at Beetle Grim, like, hey man, like, congrats on your job that's amazing like what do I have to do to get a job in this industry because it's tough it's really tough it's there's not a lot of opportunities to get a full time job in D&D. And he told me you know you gotta go out there, you gotta make something that's yours, you gotta put it out online people have to get their eyes on it it's it's got to be somewhat successful and then once it has enough attention, people come to you, people find you and, 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 and include you in on what they're doing. And that's kind of what I was hoping Second Star would help with what Osopian pull a lever would help with and and, and it did. Um, because the, the the people at whiz kids saw my resume looked up Second Star looked up my, you know, interviews on shows my charity streams, and that sold them on me, you know, so that helped big time
0: that that that's a great piece of advice i haven't i haven't had the opportunity to play with him i the guy is busy i keep asking him to join (laughs) charity events he just can't yeah he's Um, an
1: amazing guy
0: yeah i'd love to i'd love to chat with him for sure um it's it's great advice and because the one thing that i've learned sort of we've taken a bit of a similar path in that you know i do the podcast and i've created a bunch of shows and is i recently was cast in a show on mini train domain and it's one of those things where you know you you work hard and you build your own thing and you make it good and you put your heart and soul into it and people are going to dig it and that community could be small uh, but eventually that community is going to grow yeah and you know, and then maybe the first thing wasn't quite as successful as you want, but then you go on to the next thing and that becomes more successful. You take the community that you built, you, you transport them, uh, hopefully to the new thing, and then you just keep going. But the key is, I think, and you can tell me what you think <laughs> is, um, working hard and putting out, putting out something that, that you love. And yeah. if, if you do that, people will, people will see that come through and everything that you're doing but yeah it starts with you nobody the while the tabletop community is super welcoming like you said there's a lot of people out there doing it and you have to be your own cheerleader at the beginning until you get those other opportunities to say hey we want you for this reason
1: Hundred percent, yeah, and, and and doesn't go unnoticed. Even if you know, like Second Star, you know it's a great show, but it's not like a huge show or anything. But I think people see the passion, the fun, the the commitment, and that's what helps it stand out to people. You know, definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's one of those things where you know, um, if you build it, they will come. May yeah. not come as fast as you want. <laughs> But they will they will eventually come and you know I've checked in on the chat and it's active and the people who are there are loving it and you've built this incredible community of people who are really digging what you're doing and it's resonating online and big time yeah so Joe thanks so much for chatting with me I hope to see you soon. Uh, in the cockpit of an x-wing or a tie fighter but i haven't played in a long time and i'm
1: gonna suck it's okay i fly around as a tie bomber and usually do really good or really bad so
0: there there, there is no middle ground you're either great or you suck for that's sure like
1: a 100 accurate
0: all right joe thanks so much thank you that's our show for this week thanks so much for listening i'm not going to ask you to subscribe if you haven't already oh just strongly hint that you should I'm not saying I'm from the future and your life may depend on it, but no, I'm just kidding, I'm not from the future. Right? It's always good having you join me, and remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count. I look forward to chatting with you again next week.